everybody. Welcome to the June 26, 2015 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Gabrielle Bryan. I'm sitting in for Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, let's get a quick take on the Denver County Fair cutting the pot pavilion from its attractions this year. The cancellation follows a class action lawsuit claiming vendors at last year's fair distributed marijuana infused chocolates. Natasha Gardner, what do you make of this? Well, certainly it's ripe for plenty of puns about smoking or up in smoke or whatever else. Um, there was theoretically supposed to be no pot at the pavilion. So depending on how you, you fall on this issue, as a, someone who appreciates a good county fair, the thing that bothers me is that you can't actually see the product. Like you want to see the award-winning tomato. You want to see the award-winning pie. So it didn't really make sense in their venue, particularly because of the high rates of, of families. Um, they were having trouble selling to vendors now. The strange thing, though, is it's being replaced by a kitty pavilion, which is an odd uh, transition for me. <laughs> I can imagine that. Now, uh, David Copel with Independence Institute and DU Law School, I'd imagine you might have some interesting things to say about this. What's your take? The city of Denver, in running its county fair, has the right to discriminate on the basis of viewpoint, because in a sense it's sort of government speech about which vendors they want to choose to showcase at the county fair. So you can disagree with their decision on pot, but it, it's their it's their legal right to do so. You know, similarly, you don't see at the, at the Denver County Fair uh, celebrating Second Amendment stores in Denver where the, the different small businesses can come in and show off their latest products. I think they should, but it's the, certainly the rightful choice of the Denver city government not to. True. I read that they were doing things like using oregano instead of actual pot, so I find that interesting. Uh, Craig Silverman with KNUS and Silverman and Olivas, what are your thoughts? Well, I work as a trial attorney, and I think I understand what happened here. They had a heck of a lawsuit brought against them, and who can blame the plaintiffs? They didn't want to consume marijuana, thought they were consuming chocolate. They sued. They apparently got quite a recovery, and I doubt that the insurance company wants to write insurance for that part of the fair anymore, so I think that might be what happened. Makes sense. This could be a huge deal. It could also be really dangerous. Kara uh, get with uh, Greater Park Hill News, what do you think? Well, uh, you know, there are so many other places that you can ingest and smoke uh, marijuana in uh, Denver and Colorado. And so, you know, I really think that, you know, losing out at the Denver County Fair is really not that big of a deal. And who can argue with the idea of going and seeing cute kittens instead? I agree. <laughs> it's been a huge week um, in, this, in the United States this week. Let's get right to it. In a historic decision today, the U.S. Supreme Court, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled that five to four that same-sex marriage is now legal in all 50 states. The ruling makes the bans in the remaining 14 states no longer enforceable. Natasha, this is a huge deal. I know it's very influential and can mean a lot to a lot of people. What do you think? Yeah, it's an incredible moment in American history, and certainly it's a moment where I'm very proud to be an American. Um, my husband this morning knew how anxious I was to hear the decision, and, and so he called me because I was on a walk with my, my young son, my two-and-a-half-year-old son, and I was getting very excited, and he he was getting very excited because he's a toddler and that's what you do when your mom's excited and explaining to him and then I realized 
I don't have to explain this to him. He and his friends are going to grow up in a world where this is not an issue. They're going to grow up in a world where they can marry who they love. And that, for me, was such a moment of, aha, we've done this. Like, this is a fantastic moment for us. You know, watching and listening to people talk about it this morning, I've already heard people say, well, I'm going to be able to move. I'm going to be able to move in this country with my family, knowing that the legal definition of what that family is, of what my union is, isn't going to change. That's phenomenal. And then as we're celebrating this, too, I've seen people also paint a lot of uh, respect to the people who fought for this over the years. And, and certainly even in the Denver community, I know Tim Gill, who formed the Tim Gill Foundation, sent something out this morning talking about when he started in 94, only 25% of the country supported this. Now 60% has, and the Supreme Court has made this decision. So, you know, props to everyone who has fought for this issue over time. It's really a great moment. Yeah, David, I know it seems like a lot of people <clears throat> may feel like this is something that was right around the corner. It was already going to happen. Maybe the court just had to catch up. What are your thoughts? Well, I think it was going to happen by, by the normal process of legislatures and, and voters choosing it. Obviously, the, the court accelerated it. It's interesting looking forward because it's going to have perhaps very big implications for a case that the tenth, Federal Tenth Circuit Court of Appeals is going to be hearing in which the briefing is going on right now. That's the case of Brown versus Buman uh, from Utah, known as the Sister Wives case, and it's that family that is on the TV show. They won their case in federal district court in Utah, not for saying that the, Utah has to recognize our plural marriage as, as a marriage under state law. They simply said, don't prosecute us for bigamy under state law because Utah has an, an unusual statute which says even cohabitation can be considered bigamy. So if you have three people who live together, you know, in a, in a relationship, that's okay, and it's okay if you spend weekends with your mistress and weekdays with your wife under Utah's prosecutorial policies. But if you have that three-way relationship and you say, I'm married to both of these people, and I intend to take care of them for the rest of my lives, and I feel obliged to them because I consider myself married, even though it's not recognized by the state, well, then that's a crime in Utah. And so that will be before the Tenth Circuit. And what the, the Brown family is, is seeking is sort of what was granted uh, by the Supreme Court in 2003 which in the Lawrence versus Texas, which is not to say the state has to legally recognize what you consider to be your marriage. It simply can't criminally prosecute you for your choice about who you love and who you live with. Totally makes sense. But I hadn't even thought of that perspective. Yeah. Craig, I know you're the other lawyer at the table. What are your thoughts? I'm thinking, boy, do we have an evolving constitution uh, and a Supreme Court that is activist. Now, I happen to be for gay marriage, and I believe that you should not discriminate against people based on immutable characteristics. And the Supreme Court would definitely intervene if somebody was denied the right to vote, for example, based on their gender, or their race, or their religion. And to me, the right to marry is more important than the right to vote. If I had to give up one, I've never had my one vote really matter in an election, I'd say, give me the right to marry. So I celebrate that with uh, my gay brothers and sisters. But at the same time, let's if we were going to original intent and the founding fathers, they certainly didn't contemplate gay marriage. And uh, it seems like we have a mini legislature up there right now. It's a lot like Roe v. Wade, where 
I agree with the general policy, and if I was in the legislature, I would support it. But it is problematic that the Supreme Court seems to be making these rules, and there will be pushback, not so much in Colorado, because we're far from the days when we were called the hate state, but in other states, there will be pushback, and um, I understand the arguments. We saw it with Scalia, who said it threatens our democracy. Kennedy was more about love and the things I talked about earlier, but really, what's the Supreme Court doing? They're just kind of making it up as it goes. Well, I know, like what you said earlier, a lot of us are celebrating. Kara, what are your thoughts on this? Well, like Natasha, I am just so happy. I, I spent this morning just being out of my mind happy for my LGBT uh, brothers and sisters and friends and, um, and the community um, that I am so proud to um, um, love and have such deep respect for. And um, the notion of uh, the whole generations of, of um, uh, Americans coming up behind us now, never knowing um, anything, that kind of discrimination or, or um, having us become so far by leaps and bounds and so short of a time is just so exhilarating to me. And, um, you know, just thinking about the relatively short period of time in um, history that this has happened is really quite astonishing. You know, 24 years ago in Colorado, Coloradans passed Amendment 2, which was, um, you know, the amendment that would have um, prohibited gays and lesbians from being able to seek protections as a class. Uh, as, a, as a class, and um, so. That of course was ruled unconstitutional, and um, and just then fast forwarding 23 years later, last year um, at this time, the then attorney general for the state of Colorado was still fighting to keep same-sex marriage out of Colorado, and so to have you know this today's affirming ruling from the Supreme Court is just is just tremendous. Definitely a huge day for all of us. On Thursday, the U.S. Supreme Court made another monumental ruling in favor of Obamacare this time. Under the decision, the federal government may continue to provide nationwide tax subsidies to help eligible individuals and families buy health insurance. David, what are your thoughts, and how will this affect Colorado? Well, it won't have any effect on Colorado at all, because the Colorado legislature, uh, in a bipartisan way, a few years ago, with Senate, then Senate uh, or House Majority Leader Amy Stevens uh, passed a bill to set up a Colorado health care exchange, and the governor signed it. And we had a big public debate on it, and I realize that's kind of a strange thing to be saying about something related to Obamacare that was actually done legally, publicly, and according to the proper procedures. But that's how we we did it in Colorado because I guess we're a little different sometimes. The question was, what about the states that had rejected uh, setting up a state exchange? Can the federal subsidies go to them? The Obamacare statute says an exchange established by a state, which seems to mean established by a state rather than established by a state or by the federal government. And in fact, that's how the architect of Obamacare, Jonathan Gruber, repeatedly described it because he said this saying we only give the subsidies to the states that set up their own exchanges will be very powerfully economic coercive in forcing states to do this. He, his prediction turned out to be right, but the intention was clear. 
there is an alternative statutory interpretation, which ultimately Chief Justice Roberts relied on, which is an extremely roundabout and complicated way. I won't say it's crazy or ridiculous or, or frivolous, but it is highly strained compared to simply reading established by a state as meaning established by a state. Uh, but Chief Justice Roberts, as he did in the previous Obamacare case, has, although he's promoted himself as the umpire who just calls the balls and strikes, when Obamacare is up to bat, uh, he sure changes the strike zone to, uh, to make sure Obamacare gets on base. This can be open to a variation of interpretations. Craig, what do you think? I'm worrying about the breakdown in the rule of law because I, I think it's a strained interpretation. Jonathan Gruber made it clear, and Obamacare made it clear, they wanted states to participate, set up an exchange the way Colorado did, and they said, if you don't do it, then your citizens are not going to get the subsidies. And they thought all the states would fall in line, but a lot of states didn't. So maybe Colorado was the sap and the sucker. Why do we set up an exchange when these other states that didn't do it got the benefit of the subsidies anyway? So I think... Uh, the Chief Justice realized that, wow, if we undo Obamacare, it's going to be a big mess. So he went for this strained interpretation. And really, it inerts to the benefit, I think, of Republicans. Because uh, if the decision would have gone the other way, there would have been a lot of people mad. Same with gay marriage. It kind of gets it off their plate. And so I think the Supreme Court, even though conservatives will complain about these two opinions, when it comes to electoral politics, I think both were in their favor because, like it or not, we have to accept gay marriage. Like it or not, Obamacare is going to be there until and unless it's replaced by another Congress with a president who will sign it. I mean, when I think of this topic, I think of how it relates to people at a personal level. I'm not sure. What are your thoughts on this? Well, I, sure. I think that um, from a personal level, it's... Health care impacts every single one of us, and being able to have access to health care is, I think, critical and should be um, something that every single member of Congress wants to strive for. And interestingly, and interestingly enough, the Denver Post um, made a very interesting point, I thought, in an editorial this morning um, about the ruling, um, pointing out that actually the Supreme Court might have um, very well saved um, the Republican Party from a very embarrassing PR um, disaster in, in its ruling um, because the Republican Party for you know, eight months as this case has been working its way through, has not come up with any sort of meaningful options or, um, you know, replacements for Obamacare, um, as has been the case uh, since Congress initially passed it. And I think that the ruling really does establish that Obamacare, the Affordable Care Act, is the law of the land. So let's get down and start working to figure out how we can make the system and the, and the law more efficient, more effective, and, um, and more affordable. 
I know some have said that this almost secures that Ob Obamacare isn't really going anywhere anytime soon. Mm -hmm. Natasha, what do you think? Can you wrap it up for I us? Think, I think that's the case. I don't think it's going anywhere soon, but as, as we've been discussing at this table, it certainly needs tinkering, and it's time to get down to business and, and do the tinkering that needs to be done to make it a stronger and more effective system. Um, you know, I think that this lawsuit, as a writer, for me, was very interesting because it comes down to a matter of words and an intent of what the writers were saying, and, and I agonize over everything that I write. And, and I look at that, and I'm like, wow, if they had a do-over, they'd probably take that, that little clause out and change it. Roberts, interestingly, goes with the intent of what the, the legislators were trying to do rather than the actual, specifically what it says. Um, and Roberts, you know, with this, this decision, but throughout his tenure, um, he's a little more robust than or controversial than some of our previous justices. And I think he's starting to set the tone for what his tenure and what the tenure of his court is. Um, there's a flexibility of thought, which could be upsetting depending on where your politics are, but I think it ensures that this week has been very exciting with the Supreme Court. But I think in uh, next year could be just as exciting as well. All right, we're going to bring it back to Colorado now. The Attorney General, Cynthia Kaufman, defended her position this week to meet with Colorado Republican Party Chair Steve House over allegations that she and other lawmakers were threatening to blackmail him. Kaufman maintains that she met with him to address her lack of confidence in his ability to lead the party. Now, this has been deemed almost a soap opera, soap opera if you will. Can you talk to me about what you think? I think it's a very bad situation for Cynthia Kaufman. She's a top elected official, state attorney general, the biggest vote-getter last go-round. And why she got involved in this, I bet she's wondering. Her interview with Sean Boyd was a tough one. I think you could have picked easier interviewers than Sean Boyd, who asked her, what about you? Do you need to resign? And then there have been claims that they've gone to prosecutors' offices claiming extortion. Let me tell you, nobody's really been prosecuted under Colorado's criminal extortion law for quite a while. There's a case called Wimbush, in which a guy who worked for mortuary, sold funeral plans on commission, uh, felt that he didn't get proper commission. And then there was a party for the boss where a male stripper appeared. This guy took pictures and he said, unless you pay me, I'm going to release these pictures. And the guy called the Denver DA's office, and when the money was exchanged for the film, they arrested the guy, and he was convicted in Denver District Court, but the Colorado Supreme Court threw it out, saying, no, he has a First Amendment right. And when you think about it, in my profession, when I gather facts, when somebody's liable, I say, hey, I'm going to file a civil lawsuit. It's going to be public. Do you want to resolve it ahead of time? So there's a fine line there, and it surprises me that Cynthia Kaufman and, you know, talked about her own criminal liability accused of a crime. I don't think she's going to be prosecuted, but I think she's hurt. Now, Tom Tancredo, who seems to be around all these situations, sort of like a black widow spider, I mean, it's just uh, amazing the things he gets tangled up in. And this is what I call the great Colorado implosion of the GOP. It comes at a bad time. They're in disarray. And it's a soap opera that inures to the detriment of the Colorado Republicans. It's ridiculous. There's a lot of really different, intricate elements to this story. What did you pull out? Well, uh, you know, it is the most peculiar timing. Um, I, I have to say, Craig was so spot on with many of his points, but the timing is so peculiar because it, it came, I mean, it comes just 
months after Ryan Call was summarily dismissed after uh, ushering in this great um, majority for on so many fronts for the Republicans. So he summarily showed the door and then Steve House comes in as the new GOP at, uh, chair and you know months later we have this Peyton place just unraveling and what the heck is Cynthia Kaufman doing? Does she have nothing better to do as Attorney General for all of the people of the state of Colorado? I think she might. I can't really answer that question, but what do you think about that, <laughs> Natasha? What, what do you make of sure. what's going on? Well, I think um, this is now the second week we've discussed this issue at the table, and it is the clock is ticking. I mean, the Colorado GOP needs this discussion to be done. They need the scandal to be over. They need to stop flinging mud at each other and focus in on what they need to do. Now, I believe it's today that they're going to start um, meeting and, and talking about what the next step might be towards that, but it still isn't probably going to be resolved. Um, so we're still possibly looking at least another week in the news cycle. So what if impact could this already start to have on both local GOP races, but also national GOP races in Colorado? And that's what they should be most concerned with right now. Maybe not the accusations back and forth. <laughs> David, I'm intrigued to hear what you have to say. Well, one of John Caldera's political axioms is there is absolutely nothing that the Republican Party can't screw up. <laughs> uh, he says it a little more colorfully, but that's, that's the gist. It, it's progress now. Uh, what a misnamed organization, sent a uh, letter to Denver District Attorney uh, uh, Mitch Morrissey saying, hey, how about you open an investigation on Cynthia Kaufman for blackmail and extortion? And he politely wrote back and said, thank you, we appreciate your concern, but since A, you appear to have no information on this case, and B, you know, beyond what anybody else knows in the newspaper, you don't know anything special, and B, since the alleged victim uh, is not cooperating with any complaint, uh, we are at this time choosing not to open an investigation. Uh, Colorado Pulse, which certainly, uh, if, if you enjoy bile, uh, provides the most reliable uh, quantity of that uh, in the state, has been running these pictures of, of Mike and Cynthia Kaufman in like House of Cards style stuff, you know, which is, you know, kind of funny in its own way. But then the surprising thing is, of course, a year from now, they will be going all out in their slavish devotion to Hillary and Bill Clinton, on whom House of Cards was actually based, except they had to tone down some of the stuff in the Bill and Hillary real life because it was, seemed too improbable uh, to put on a fictional show. Well, we're going to get a quick take on this last one. Uh, some of Denver City Council members are expressing concerns that Mayor Michael Hancock is pushing through high-profile high issues before the council's new members take office. Opponents from the current and new council have stated that some issues deserve a vote from a more critical eye and shouldn't be voted on by the lame duck council. What's your quick take on this? Well, I, I do think that there's something to be said about uh, council, longtime council members being able to vote on issues that they've been working on for many, many years before they leave, uh, before they leave the council, which is um, one way to look at it. Another way to look at it is I would hope that they would fast, all, similarly fast track um, some of their efforts um, in dealing with other big picture items like uh, figuring out um, some solutions to the traffic mess, figuring out um, some solutions to a woefully inadequate um, stormwater drainage system um, in many parts of the city that has increasingly been stressed this spring and summer. Those kinds of fast-track decisions also, I think, deserve to, to, uh, to have some quick answers. 
Natasha, do you think this is being pushed through or is Mayor Hancock doing his job? What do you think? I think it's probably a little bit of both. I think he's he's strategically figuring out what's the right time to bring these things up. But I also don't think the new council is going to have any lack of planning discussions. They're going to spend a lot of their time, if not on a week, monthly, pro, a weekly, definitely on a monthly basis. So they'll have plenty of time to talk about planning. David, can you quickly tell me what your thoughts it, are? It's why lame duck legislatures are a terrible idea. NAFTA was passed by a lame duck Congress in December 1994. Uh, we ought to drastically shorten. Uh, the time so that the new people chosen by the new representatives chosen by the people can take office. Craig, what do you think? Disrespect to, to the will of the people, but good politics he's learned from the master. Wasn't Obamacare fast tracked through before Scott Brown could really take his seat in the United States Senate? So this is what politicians do. We're going to get to what some people deem as our favorite sh uh, part of the week, disgrace of the week. And this morning's news um, from the Supreme Court uh, pushed aside some news that we we're getting out of the rest of the world about the three terrorist attacks. Dozens are dead. Details are, are coming out probably as I'm speaking right now. It's truly a sad moment. David? When I talked about Wild Earth Guardians last week, I, to be precise, they listed hundreds of companies as being their corporate supporters, and a lot of those companies have since fled. But Wild Earth Guardians was not necessarily deceiving about them in the vast majority of cases, because apparently many of these companies had given them a $30 gift card for an event or something like that. So if I conveyed the impression that Wild Earth Guardians was just making these folks up, uh, that was incorrect. Craig? Well, uh, I'm going to go back to terrorism, jihadi terrorism, and the biggest state sponsor of jihadi terrorism is the Islamic Republic of Iran. And we've got a bad deal that may be consummated as soon as this weekend. I oppose it. I'm going to organize a rally. We have one Sunday at 2 at the west steps of the Capitol. As Bibi Netanyahu said, and I was privileged to be in the House chambers when he said it, it's not that we're against a deal, we're against a bad deal. And the more you hear about this, there's a terrible deal that jeopardized all of us with nuclear weapons. Karen? The city of Colorado Springs uh, Police Department gets my disgrace of the week this week um, for issuing a letter saying it was justified, legal, and proper to pull a young African-American um, out of his car, push him face down in the snow at gunpoint and taser point, and uh, all over um, an issue involving a cracked windshield um, stop um, and traffic stop. And that sends the message to all people of color, I think, that this is business as usual and this is what they should expect when they're pulled over by the police. Super fast. Uh, say something nice. A few years ago, I had a good opportunity to write a story on Denver's Swiftwater Rescue Crews. They certainly got a workout this week. Thank you for everything they did. David. Ken Buck for representing his district and voting against the, uh, the, the Obama trade bill and for standing up and beating the Republican leadership who tried to strip him of uh, one of his positions because he defied them. Craig? In the wake of the Charleston massacre, which was terrible, some people stood up. I liked the way President Obama spoke. Nikki Haley did the right thing. And one Republican presidential candidate has distinguished himself, and I have the privilege of introducing him Saturday night at the Western Conservative Summit. He'll be a guest on my radio show, Dr. Ben Carson. I like that man. Kara? I'll take it back to the same, uh, the same sex ruling today and just kudos to all of the unbelievable people who, in Colorado especially, who worked so hard for so many years to make it happen. That's all the time we have 
for tonight. Thank you so much for tuning in. You can catch any part of the show or CIL postgame online, and be sure to check out the CIL podcast on iTunes. Also, you don't want to miss our annual trip to the time machine next week. We're going to 1940 next Friday at 8 p.m. For everyone here at Channel 12, I'm Gabrielle Bryant. Have a great night. Thank you.